wallowing in a little bit of defeat, uh, trying to trying to get over uh, a good lashing last night in racquetball. I uh, I've been kind of retired, semi-retired, and I, you know, you got confidence, you can always come back and do what you used to could do. But Brother Jay showed me that I'm getting old, and. Um, but I'm not done yet. I'm going I'm to work back up my wind, and I'm going to get back in this thing. Praise God. So anyway, if I struggle a little bit, it's because I'm, I'm still wallowing in a little bit of defeat tonight. First Peter chapter number 3 and verse 8, Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. That's a novel idea, isn't it? Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Now, that don't mean go moping around. I don't mean have a sad face on all the time. What that means is be considerate, be humble towards one another. Be courteous. Man, that's still a Christian word. Not rendering evil for evil. Say, well, they, they did this, I'm going to get them back. A railing for it, railing. They said this, I'm going to say something back. But contrary-wise blessing knowing that ye are thereunto called that you should inherit a blessing you'll be blessed if you abstain from these things for he that will love life how many wants a life that is abundant amen and is full and is happy and is complete amen he that will love life and see good days. How many wants good days? Blessed days in your Christian walk. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. And his lips that they speak no guile. I, I simply want to entitle this tonight, Lips That Speak No Guile. Lips That Speak No Guile. And uh, I've asked Brother Fulce to help me tonight. Uh, we have a microphone right here on the uh, organ, Brother. And he's going to read a little bit for me here in a little while. But let's pray that the Lord would help us uh, and uh, lay his hand upon us in this service and anoint our efforts tonight. Jesus, we're thankful, God, that you met with us already in this house. We're praying, God, that your complete and sovereign will would be done in the continuation of this service. I'm praying, God, that you would move, minister, and work in this place. Let your word penetrate our hearts, find lodging place down deep within, and take root and be fruitful in our lives. In Jesus' name, we thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, praise God. I want to say before you're seated how much I appreciate it. I've noticed more activity up here around the church praying. And uh, I, I want to commend you for that. Let's just keep on keeping on. I believe prayer is where it's at. Praise God. Thank you for standing and maybe seated. Lips that speak no guile. I am afraid that some people, uh, they are very diligent. And they are very conscientious not to get involved in what they would consider blatant or what would fall under the heading of gross sin. They do not drink. They do not smoke. They 
do not participate in immoral sin. They would not be caught stealing. Uh, they would not be involved in cheating. Uh, they would live honest lives in their business. They would not be unscrupulous in any of these things. Many people who are careful not to commit these types of sins, I'm afraid, is still going to be lost for committing what I have called tonight sins of the tongue. You see, we have somehow in our rationalizations relegated the sins of the tongue as some kind of lesser sin or uh, maybe perhaps not even a sin at all. We've kind of justified it. Or we think it is something way less than any other spelled out sin in the Word of God that we could think of. I know people that are very diligent to keep themselves pure in all other areas of life. They're careful to abide by uh, biblical standards of holiness. In fact, they do it to the T. And I'm not in any way diminishing the importance of that in a separated lifestyle. And how many knows that is required in God's Word? They adhere to the doctrine. They would quickly affirm their belief in the essentiality of the new birth. They would state very clearly and emphatically their belief in the oneness of God and other what we would say cardinal doctrines of the church. Yet they are quick to allow themselves to participate in conversation that in the eyes of God, according to God's word, is just as sinful. We have got to realize that our tongue can cause us to commit sin if it's not bridled. Brother false, and I think they're going to help me with the overhead, would you read James 1, 26 for me tonight? Yes, sir. James 1, 26, would you follow? It says, any man among you seems to be religious. If any man among you seem to be religious, in fact, uh, maybe by first glance or uh, light conversation with them or first meeting them, they seem to be religious. And that word religious here is really rendered or it means uh, anyone that is a worshiper, anyone that is a worshiper of the Lord. Read on. Bridleth not his tongue, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart. But deceiveth his own heart. This man's religion is vain. This man's religion's what? Vain. Vain. His religion is in vain. It doesn't matter how loudly he says hallelujah. It doesn't matter how quick he is to say amen. It doesn't matter how responsive he is to the preaching of God's Word or how obedient he may seem in so many other areas of his Christian walk. If this person does not bridle their tongue, meaning they do not carefully control the things that they talk about and speak about and the things that they say, the Bible says then their worship or their religion is in vain. Their worship is wasted. It's without purpose. It accomplishes nothing. I'd hate to think 
that I could be so right in, in many other areas of my relationship with God. I could be uh, almost honed down to perfection in my doctrinal understanding, have a revelation of who Jesus is, be able to explain, perhaps even teach the new birth to somebody else, explain to them what it would take to be saved. Uh, maybe uh, my holiness and separation before the Lord, which we know, again, is a requirement from God because we are a peculiar people. Uh, have all of those things down uh, pat. Everything is perfect. You couldn't put a finger on it. But yet I negate all of that because I refuse to harness and to bridle my tongue. If he bridles not his tongue, it doesn't matter how much he or she prays. If they don't bridle their tongue, it doesn't matter how much that they give in the offering. It doesn't matter even how good they dress. And again, I'm not trying to diminish any of these important factors. Of course, we know that we need to give. And of course, we know it's essential that we pray in our relationship with God. But all of that can be in vain. It can be negated. It can accomplish nothing if I don't learn how to bridle my tongue. This is the Word of God. If they are unable to bridle their tongue, the religion is in vain. We can offer all kinds of excuses, and sometimes uh, I'm amazed and also amused at the excuses that people give for speaking so freely and with an unbridled tongue. Uh, they'll preface their remarks by saying, I... I don't mean to gossip. Well, you know where we're going right there. Then they'll go on to gossip for about two hours. And you know what the weird thing is about gossip is it leads to more gossip. You ever get started down that road? You ever you ever knock that door down, so to speak? Uh, you ever you ever open that gate? It seems like you can't ever get it closed. So it's better to not even start in the first place. And I've heard people say, well, uh, uh, preface what they're saying by, by making this remark. It's the truth. Yeah, you, you know it's the truth. As though because it's the truth, it justifies anything that they wish to say. And let me explain to you something. We are not at liberty to say everything, even if it is the truth. We have never been given authorization by God's Word or by God Himself in any way, shape, or form to speak whatever we please as long as it is the truth. Because there's a lot of things that even though they may be the truth, if they are spoken and if they're constantly uh, rehashed and the person maybe that even committed the fault, the sin, the mistake, if they constantly have to relive it because of the whisperings of people in the church, then they'll never overcome it, and it's better left unsaid. There are things that are the truth. If they were spoken, they would inflict wounds, and they would damage people's lives. Just because things are true doesn't give us the license to discuss them or to talk about them freely or openly. Uh, we ought to have enough Holy Ghost discretion about us and sensitivity about us to understand that there's some things that just don't need to be discussed. And let me just go a little further with this and say that 
we ought to consider our own selves, our own lives, our own closet maybe, if I could say it that way, when we begin to discuss or to go down this line because there's none of us in this room that is without sin. I could say just like Jesus said. He said of that woman that was caught in the act of adultery that they brought to him, he said, okay, I know what the law said, but he said, you that are without sin, he said, I want you to go get some stones and you be the first ones to throw them. Amen. And I think perhaps they even had some stones maybe in their hands waiting with anticipation that the Lord was going to allow them to just go ahead and start hurling stones. But when he said what he did, you could hear thud on the ground because they began to drop those stones realizing, you know what? After a little self-examination, I don't think I want to pick up this stone. I don't think I want to go down this road. I don't want to get started with this because when I consider how merciful God's been to me, I don't want to bring those other things that I have committed or done or been at fault in up from beneath the blood and have them raised against me in accusation. Amen? Amen? We ought to have enough Holy Ghost to not go there. And this, this really requires, we've been talking a lot about spiritual maturity, and probably this is one of the most, uh, this is one of the most, I don't know, areas that, that we could discuss, one, one of the most prominent areas where Christian growth and maturity can be marked in an individual's life. Because even though it may seem basic, it's probably one of the greatest struggles that any person has is controlling their tongue. Isn't it unique that the Lord chose this to be the sign uh, of the Holy Ghost or the evidence of the Holy Ghost is that He would take your tongue and it would speak in a heavenly language that you did not learn. Meaning that if you, if you are totally committed and submitted to God and yielded to God, that He'll have control of your tongue. Amen. So... If this is the initial sign of the Holy Ghost, can I tell you that it's going to take a continual renewal in the Holy Ghost to keep this part of us in check? Can you say amen? amen. If, you've used, uh, if you've used any of these excuses, here's, here's another one that uh, people use uh, many times. As, as, as pastor, I, I was just warning them about this particular situation. I, I didn't want them to get you know, in a bind, they, they, are, they are ignorant of the situation, and I'm just kind of, you know, teaching them a little bit about what's going on here, and uh, maybe, uh, as we like to say, learning them on a few things. That's what my grandpa used to say. He said, I'm going to learn that dog how to obey me. Amen. And uh, he never did learn us grandkids how to obey him too good, but he, I guess he thought he'd have better luck with the dog. But it's, this is a learned behavior taught to us by the Holy Ghost and by being obedient to the Word of God. This does not come natural to you, what I'm talking about here tonight. Because uh, this, is, this is something that if it's not put in check, your flesh, your flesh is just given to. It's natural to your flesh to go down this road. But a lot of people say, you know what, uh, I'm, I'm going to justify saying this because either number one it's the truth or number two I'm really using this to warn this person 
I've had people come to come to me and and say, well, you know, I, I just didn't want them to to fall in, in, into uh, you know some type of relationship with this person or fellowship with this person and be caught unawares, and so I thought I'd warn them of it. I'm going to tell you, this is where we have to trust the Holy Ghost, and this is where we have to trust uh, the Word of God. Amen. That the Word of God is right, and nowhere do I find again that there's any authority for me to do that. Amen. As a saint of God. Now, I think it's also a place that we have to trust the man of God, the pastor of the church, and let him use his discretion as he's led by the Holy Ghost in this area. You know, over the years, I've had people come and ask me for prayer for their back. I've had people come and say, pray for me. I'm having headaches, and I've had people come and pray and, uh, and say, you know, pray for my old knees. They're just about wore out. Pray for my hands. they got arthritis in them. But I've never had anybody come to me and say, Pastor, I want you to help me pray for my tongue. It's just about wore out. <laughs> Seems like that's, a, that's something never wears out. Doesn't matter how old you get, you never wear it out. Amen. It never wears down. 20 years of preaching, I've never had occasion to have to pray for somebody. And, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to pray you get more strength in your tongue where you can speak more clearly. Another excuse we often hear people say is, is, well, you know what? I really felt like I really felt like that they needed to know that, and uh, and uh, I would I would let them know because you know I I want I want them to I want them to feel a part. I want them to feel included, and so you know they're a part of us now. And so I, I thought they ought to know other people. I'm going to tell you something. There is no place no no justification for us ever hanging out anybody's dirty laundry in the Word of God. And uh, somebody says, "Well, what this have to do? What's this have to do with revival and and church growth and and evangelism and going further?" I'm gonna tell you, it has everything to do with it because this right here will stop revival quicker than anything. Amen. Amen. So what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say that slander and defamation of a person's character is never authorized in the Word of God. We've got to have enough Holy Ghost maturity that we don't say everything we feel like saying sometimes. If you're going to have a revival church, you're going to have a church that's going to have unity in it, you cannot even just, uh, even when, when, when situations happen, you'll have to refrain from responding to certain things, even though you might be right. But for the sake of unity, you've got to hold your tongue. You can't be quick to tell somebody off. You can't be quick to just speak your mind. You, you, know, you know about that. You don't want to be parceling out too much of your mind unless you not have anything left. Amen. You better keep all of it you can get. You say, well, that's just who I am. Well, you need to spend some more time in the altar. That's just my personality. Your personality needs baptized in the Holy Ghost because this is the truth. Amen. This is something that is imperative. This is something that is important to our walk with God and our relationship with the Lord is that we learn how to speak about correct things. Praise the Lord. Amen. And uh, we need to make some consecrations concerning our tongue. We need to get 
our tongue subjected to the Holy Ghost. Read uh, Psalms 52 and 2. Thy tongue, thy tongue deviseth mischief. Deviseth mischiefs. Like a raz- sharp razor. Like a sharp razor. Working, dece- working deceitfully. Talks about your tongue devising mischief like a sharp razor. I'm going to tell you, there's nobody that you've heard, heard people describe as saying, man, that individual, they got a sharp tongue. Maybe they talk about a certain lawyer. He's got a sharp tongue. Or, or somebody that's in authority. They got a sharp tongue, man. They can dress you down. I'm going to tell you, there's, there's something about a person's tongue. If it's not controlled, it can inflict wounds so quickly. And it can cut so deeply. A razor, sometimes even, even by mistake, can cut so deeply because it's so sharp. I mean, you can take an old rusty buck knife and and uh, whittle with it, and you may slip, and you may cut yourself, but you get one that's, uh, you get a razor, and uh, I remember growing up, my father laid a lot of carpet, and uh, they cut the carpet with, of course, razor knives, and many times he would have helpers that uh, wanted to, to help him, and he was real reluctant to ever issue them a razor knife. He may let them use some of the other carpet tools, but a razor knife, he realized that, that if they didn't know what they was doing because it cut, would cut, these particular razors could cut on both edges and they were both exposed, the one that you press down and then also where you could cut upward. And uh, he, he realized that, that if they were not extremely careful, they would probably cut themselves. And in cutting themselves, of course, they would bleed profusely a razor wound it seems like it bleeds quicker and more profusely than any other wound because your body's cut so deeply so quick and it severs so deep that uh, sometimes your your body doesn't even realize how uh, it's been cut and it's harder for that uh, to clot up and and so anyway uh, he didn't want to eat a whole carpet job because somebody didn't know how to use a razor knife he didn't want to have to pay for the whole house full of carpet so he was very reluctant because, you know, blood stains don't come out too easily. And uh, I thought about that today as I was reading this scripture, how quickly and sometimes even thoughtlessly words can inflict wounds. And it may take the person that's been inflicted a long, long period of time to overcome them. And they can happen. It can happen so quickly and so thoughtlessly if you're not careful. Read James 5. I have a lot of scripture tonight. 5, 5, and 6. James 5, 5, and 6. Verse 5. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and have been wanting. Ye have nourished your heart as in the day of slaughter. Verse 6. Ye have condemned and killed the just. And do not resist me. You know what? I think I, I may have gotten the wrong passage there. Let me look that up. I apologize. I'm looking for the one that talks about the tongue defiling the whole body. Amen. Amen. Writing down a bunch.
bunch of scriptures sometimes you write them down wrong but the Bible says that the tongue has the power to defile the whole body and it's in the book of James you'll just have to trust me three and five yeah I messed up there I put five where I should have put three behold we put bits in the horse's mouth this is chapter 3 verse 3 that they may obey us and we turn about their whole body this is talking about the power of the tongue here it's like a rudder on a ship it says behold we put bits in horses mouths we turn their whole body a powerful animal strong animal a muscular animal but by putting a bit in their mouth we turn their whole body and use that strength and govern that strength behold also the ships which though they be so great are driven of fierce winds yet they are turned about with very small helm whithersoever the governor listeth even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things behold how great a manner a little fire kindleth and the tongue is a fire a world of iniquity so is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire of hell so a very direct scripture but it tells us that it has the power to defile our whole body in other words we we can be perfect in so many areas we can have it right again in so many areas just like the scripture says a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump just a little member one of the smaller members of our body the tongue has the power to defile the whole body sins of the tongue are clearly denounced and they are depicted in the scripture and I want to uh, take a little bit of time here and talk about some of the sins of the tongue and uh, much of the word of God is dedicated to their description and I think it's amazing as I begin to, I knew this but as I begin to study this I found it even more profound that more than scripture on immorality, more than scripture on thievery, more than uh, scripture even on standards of holiness, we see there is a preponderance of scripture concerning sins of the tongue, talking about governing our tongue, bridling our tongue. And again, this is in no wise belittling any of these other necessary situations, but that's not what we're teaching about tonight. I'm just telling you this is an important subject that we're discussing tonight that I'm teaching to you. And I'm afraid in Pentecostal circles there are those that are going to be before God standing wanting because they refuse to commit themselves in this area and consecrate themselves in this area and bridle their tongue while they were maybe clean and pure from other sins. This is one area that they fell short and I don't want to, as a pastor, um, leave anything, any stone unturned. When I'm trying to get folks to heaven, I think it's my responsibility to give you the whole counsel of God. And uh, tonight I really have felt moved on by the Holy Ghost to talk about these things. So I want to clearly define some of these sins of the tongues tonight and show you how uh, that Scripture deals with them. First of all, the sin of tailbearing. There's a lot of scripture talking about tailbearing. 
What is a tailbearer? A person that's always carrying a tail. And that word tail is T-A-L-E, not T-A-I-L. Tail-bearing. They're always got a story. They always got the latest, juiciest gossip. They always got the lowdown on somebody. They know the latest scandal. And uh, they're better than a tabloid uh, magazine, just always bringing up and dredging up. They got more information than what is that thing, uh, National Enquirer. <laughs> I mean, they're just full of information about everything. None of it's good. None of it's good. I know people that they thrive on this. They've got to know the latest stuff. And uh, matter of fact, they feel, almost feel like they've been left out if, uh, uh, if they don't know what's, what's going on. Like there's some kind of conspiracy against them. Man, somebody's, not, not, somebody's holding out on me. I hadn't heard any gossip in two or three weeks and heard any bad stuff on nobody in a long time. Somebody's cutting me out of the deal. Somebody, they're talking about me. That's probably what the deal is. They've started in on me now. I think it's funny, but a lot of people live with that kind of fear. I, uh, I've known a man. I know one guy one time he was sitting with a group. He said, you know, I'm going to be the last one to leave because he said, I don't want these fellas to start in talking on me. He says, well, I'm going to stay here. I don't care if i got to stay up all night. I'm going to stay right here until they get done because I know as soon as I leave, they're going to start in on me. Well, that'd be a pitiful way to have to live, wouldn't it? Can I tell you that there are things more noble to live for than to live for gossip? There is a God that deserves our worship. There's a God that deserves our time and our energy and our focus and our faith and our work for Him. But sadly, there's a lot of people that sit on Pentecostal pews that are literally possessed with the spirit of tailbearing. They don't talk about moves of God talk about church services. They don't talk about the work of the Lord. They don't talk about revival and about having revival. They don't talk about the blessings of God. They don't talk about the good things that God is doing. They don't talk about the service maybe that they just had the past weekend. They're only interested in talking about somebody. And they're only feeding like a feeding frenzy on other people's failures and mistakes. And shortcomings. There's something wrong with that. I'm going to tell you, those kind of folks, if you're not careful, they'll be talking about you just as sure as, as you're not there. They're going to be working on you. They're going to be giving their opinions about you. So you, you better be careful about engaging in that kind of conversation. And what does God say about it? Read Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 16. Leviticus 19, verse 16. Thou shalt not go up and down as a tailbearer. Thou shalt not go up and down as a tailbearer among thy people. Neither shalt thou stand against the blood of thy neighbor. I am the Lord. Thou shalt not go up and down as a tailbearer among thy people. This is the description, I believe, of, uh, of, of the Lord telling us that we're a people that is together. He's talking, of course, to Israel here, but uh, to us, I believe it is, is uh, right to say as a church, it still applies to you and I. But he said, as a people, we don't need to be telling tales on one another. 
Amen. You're my brother. You're my sister in the Lord. I'm not being a very good brother or sister in the Lord if that's the activity that I'm involved in. Let's read Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 8. Proverbs 18 verse 8. The words of a talebearer are as wounds. The words of a talebearer are as wounds. And they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. In other words, it's a deep wound. In other words, it's, it's something that is hard to recover from. It's like a spear that has gone deep down or a sword that has gone deep down into that individual. And they may not ever recover from it. So we would be wise to never get involved. The wise man said here that a tailbearer is like that, inflicting wounds on people. Our words wound folks if we're not careful. Now I want to ask you a question. Are our words wounding folks or are they healing folks? If you're a tailbearer, you don't love people. I don't care what you say. You don't love people if you're a tailbearer. If you're a tailbearer, you don't love their souls. Oh, that's another one of those justifications we use. Well, I, I wanted them to have something. You know, we, we're having a prayer meeting here, and I want, I want them to know what to pray about because I believe Brother Calhoun said that God answers specific prayers. So I want them to know all the nitty-gritty about this person so they'll really know what they're praying about. They'll know when they get up underneath this burden what they're feeling. And I really want them to know that, uh, that, uh, that if they can get real specific with their prayers concerning this if they really know all the, the juicy details. And so I just want to, you know, before we pray about this, I want to share this with you. Boy, it's getting quiet in here. I must have hit a nerve. Amen. I'm going to tell you, if your prayer means consist of a gossip session before or after, there's something wrong. Amen. That's not why we gather together to pray. That's not why we come together with one another to pray. And if that's the kind of prayer meetings that folks are having, I'm against it. They need to be to touch God. We're talking to God. And, and we don't need to get together to discuss things and get down to the nitty-gritty details because there's not much we'll get done by talking about it anyway. And if you've got concerns about somebody, keep it to yourself and talk to God about it. All right, amen. Amen? amen? If you're a tailbearer, you're not trying to help anybody. The sins, the second sin of the tongue I want to talk about is the sin of false witness. Exodus 20 and verse 16. Exodus 20 and verse 16. Thou shalt not bear a false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. You need to be extremely careful when making accusation against someone. It's a dangerous thing to accuse somebody falsely just to assume well I bet that's what's going on we don't need no conspiracy theorist when it comes to what I'm talking about here tonight well I think this is probably the deal or I assume this is probably what's happening that's a very dangerous thing to get into and the Bible is against it the Bible is clear when, when receiving accusations it says don't do it unless that it comes by the mouth of two or three witnesses. In other words, don't let somebody just get aggravated someone, bring an accusation against somebody in the church and just take it as the gospel. Because you'll have a mess on your hands. 
Amen. The Bible does talk about judgment starting at the house of God, and there needs to be judgment on these things because they bring hurt in the lives of people. And when somebody is falsely accused of something, and a lot of this that I'm talking about tonight, I don't have any specific examples in this congregation right now, but I think sometimes when we preach, we don't just preach because the problem has already arose. We, we preach sometimes preventatively to keep problems from arising. We have a good understanding of these things. We're not to be falsely accusing people just because someone thought they saw or thought they heard or thought this may be, this is the way it looked. Uh, you need to make sure that you know what you're talking about when you bring accusation. The Bible tells me when I falsely accuse even the least of people, I've done it unto him. Amen? The least little bit when I falsely accuse and we think it's so innocent that we've done that against him. I don't want to do anything to have him grieved at me. Number three, the sin of vain talkers. Titus chapter 1 and verse 10. Titus chapter 1 and verse 10 and verse 11. For there are many unruly and there are many vain, unruly vain talkers and vain talkers and deceivers, and deceivers. especially they of the circumcision. He's talking about the Jews here who was supposed to be the most religious folks of that day. He's saying there's a lot of vain talkers among them. In other words, their talk is empty. Their talk doesn't accomplish anything. You know, if you get in the habit of just sitting around jawing about things that have no purpose in them and you get off on people, it won't be long until you get off further than you thought. This, this conversation stuff has a way of building, building, building. And then you get into an area where you'd have been better off to gone on home. <laughs> you'd have been better, not, better off just to dismiss yourself and say, you know what, this conversation's not going anywhere. Matter of fact, I think it's leading down a bad road. It's getting into some vain talking. And... He said, this, this is happening among, among folks that consider themselves to be pretty religious and pretty committed to God. He said, whose mouths must be stopped. He said, they have the ability to subvert whole houses, teaching things they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. They're using this for their own motives. They're talking these, this talk to, to bring benefit to themselves. He said, you need to choose your words carefully. Let me just tell you something. We need to be speakers of faith, not of doubt. We need to be speakers of encouragement, not of discouragement. We need to be speakers of revival. Talk about revival and the good things of God and the blessings of God. Uh, speak about God and, 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 and what He's doing in your life and in your family. Encourage people in this area. Don't, don't be a vain talker. Vain talkers usually don't pray. That's what the problem is. Vain talkers usually are not soul winners. It's hard to be a busybody and a soul winner at the same time. Usually they're not very involved in the work of God because they have all this time for vain talking. Let's talk about what we can do to help the church, to help a brother or sister in the Lord, to reach souls, 
What do you say? Wouldn't that be more the will of God? Let's talk about the Bible. I remember it growing up, my grandfather on my mother's side, uh, he did not always live for God. He had been raised as a young boy in the church. His daddy was a, a, a preacher, an old-time preacher back uh, in the early 1900s. And uh, he was raised around uh, the church, and then he got away from God, came back. But I remember he was kind of the patriarch one that was responsible for getting our family into the church and teaching our family the truth. And uh, I remember so well him sitting around in our living room or at the dinner table after the meal was eaten and the ladies would pick up the dishes that would just sit and maybe drink iced tea and he would begin to talk about the Bible and the Word of God. And he, he, as he was talking about the Word of God, he'd maybe bring up things he would been studying and talking about. And I was thinking about that today, how foreign that is to a lot of our conversations anymore. We don't talk about what, you know, I was reading this scripture. Let's, let's talk about this. Uh, uh, what do you think about this? I had somebody just the other day that came up to me and, and was talking to me, and they said, you know, I was reading the Word of God about this, and, and what's your... What's your perception on this? What, what do you see in this particular verse of Scripture? And it done my heart good to know that they were reading and studying the Word of God, not, not participating in other things that really do not matter. And uh, I remember my grandfather, same grandfather, talking about uh, prayer meetings and then talking about miracles that happened. And as he would, tears would well up in his eyes. He'd start crying. And, and God be my witness, the presence of the Lord would come sweeping into that room right there in our home because you get what you talk about. A preacher gets what he preaches about, and, and, a, and a saint, a saint of God, gets what they spend their most time talking about. You want to talk about what God's doing, the goodness of God, and, and what God can, can bless us with in our family, in our home, and the Word of God. You start talking that, that kind of talk, and you start lifting those kind of words up and, and discussing those kind of things, you begin to see those things come to pass. Amen. You talk about things that are negative, that's probably what's going to happen. Job said that, that I have feared has come upon me. He had been discussing, man, I hope this doesn't happen. I hope that doesn't happen. I hope this never occurs in my life. And perhaps, perhaps, uh, that's what he had been doing because he said that that I fear has come upon me it was on his mind you know what we need to have a mindset of faith and be talking about you can't talk about what's not on your mind what's not in your heart because out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaking so you got to get it in your heart first you got to you got to spend some time praying and in the word of God getting getting it absorbed down deep and then it comes out in your conversation and you love to talk about it you love to discuss it I thought, man, I'm so hungry for that. Just, just outside of church, just the presence of the Lord to show up. That'd be great in some of our fellowship settings, just the presence of the Lord, the visitation of the Holy Ghost. And, and I, remember, I remember so well hearing the stories about uh, Brother Andrew Urshan. I was preaching up in Indianapolis uh, this year, and, and uh, the preacher took us over to the graves, Brother N.A. Urshan and his father, and and uh, some of the old-time preachers like G.T. Haywood, 
a lot of history right around Indianapolis area. And um, I was reminded of a story about Andrew Urshan, uh, this brother N.A. Urshan's father, and how that uh, he would come. I uh, remember one particular story. Uh, he came to Thanksgiving dinner at uh, Elder Mangum's house in, in Alexandria. And uh, there in G.A. Mangum's house, uh, he said, before we eat, he said, I, I'd like for us to bow down and, and pray. And, and they got down in their chairs there and bowed their knees and began to pray. And as they were praying and seeking the Lord, uh, the Holy Ghost moved in. They forgot about the Thanksgiving dinner and uh, forgot about the plans they had. And they got to praying on. And about a half hour, so, uh, there was a knock came on the door. And there was a man on Thanksgiving Day that said he was weeping. He said, I don't know. He said, I know it's unusual. I know you guys are probably having Thanksgiving. He said, but I was driving by this house just now. And he said, I felt so compelled to stop and knock on this door and see what's going on here. He said, my life's a wreck. He said, I need some help. And they invited him in. And I don't know totally the end of the story, but it seemed like I remember them uh, teaching him uh, you know about the word of the Lord and about the truth and and praying with him and uh, right there on Thanksgiving Day I'm gonna tell you God will move we'll give him time to move sometimes Amen. we don't plan him out of the equation Amen. praise the Lord and what we discuss and what we dwell on what we talk about has a lot to do with that talk about things that have purpose I don't want to be a vain talker talk about things going to add to the work of God that's going to lift up and that's going to encourage number four Lying, of course, is a sin of the tongue. Read Proverbs 6 and 17. Proverbs 6 and 17. Let's talk about things that God hates. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. You know, it's always amazed me that first statement is right in there with murder. Those first two statements are right in there with murder. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. Boy, I don't want in any way to be all encapsulated with murders and be in fellowship with all of that because of not being honest in my conversation. These are things that God hates. Give us a baptism of honesty, honesty in our business dealings, honesty in what we say we're going to do. Lying also includes being evasive about the truth. You know, I've found some people, they're pretty good at this. They're pretty crafty. You know, they, didn't, they, they can honestly say, well, I didn't, I didn't speak a lie. No, but you acted one. Because when you was questioned, you evaded. You, well, you, you know, some people to pin them down on something, you've got to ask them every which way you can think of to ask them and still can't pin them down. I mean, you know, you got to hit every angle. Isn't it amazing? And it's not just little kids that do this. It's grown, full-grown adults that do this. Evasive with the truth. God, help us to be honest and forthright. Amen in our conversation. And then number five, the sin of whispering. My God, Brother Calhoun, where'd you find that? You mean I can't even whisper? show what I'm talking about. Romans chapter 1 verse 29. Romans 1 and 29 be filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, 
being filled with all unrighteousness. Now I want you to look at this laundry list here. All unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness. Go on. Full of envy, envy murder, debate, deceit, malignity, and, and whispers. Boy, I'm going to tell you, that's quite a laundry list. Unrighteousness, fornication, immorality there. Wit- wickedness, I mean, that's just vile stuff. Covetousness, maliciousness, I mean, just, just uh, people that have no consideration for others. Malicious in their intent. Full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity. Whispers. I mean, this is talking about, you read this chapter, and I don't have time to go into reading all of it, but it's talking about people that are reprobate, that are becoming reprobate. That they, they don't know, they, 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 worship, they worship the creation more than the Creator, the Scripture said in this chapter. They got everything mixed up. They're reprobate in their uh, relationship towards the Lord. And the sins of the tongue are mixed right in here together with them. These are reprobates that he is describing, and one of the descriptions is that they are whisperers. There is a spirit of being a whisperer. Have you ever witnessed this? It would be a crowd of 50 people in a room, and two will be off in a corner somewhere. And you walk up... cat got their tongue you turn your back (laughs) whispering to one another they got insider information that nobody else needs to know about this is the attributes of those that are becoming reprobate the Bible says they sit and share their info with one another they say things did you hear about this Me and you and whoever else I can find. <laughs> did, did you hear about this happening? God help us that there, we don't have more to talk about. God help us if we don't have more to talk about than somebody's failure and sin of the week. Let's talk about God. Let's talk about revival. Let's talk about what he's doing, the work of God. And then the very next verse, verse 30. Verse 30 in that same. Backbiters. Haters of God is put right in there with backbiters. Despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. Boy, you talk about inventors of evil things. We've got that today, don't we? I mean, you you can't even buy a, a little game for your kids that doesn't have some kind of twisted meaning to it. Inventors of evil things. You've got to be careful about all of that. Disobedient to parents put right in there. Backbiters. What is a backbiter? I'll tell you what a backbiter is. is somebody, when they hear a message maybe like this one tonight, preached or taught about, then, then they get in the car on the way home. They're, oh, I don't think about that. I don't think, I don't think he knows what he's talking about. I mean, even though, you know, I've read probably 25 scriptures here tonight, and most of what I had to say was right out of the Word of God. But there'll be somebody that'll walk out of here and backbite. Amen. Yeah. And say, well, I don't, I don't agree. They call one another and they discuss it, or nowadays they get on Facebook because they know the preacher ain't on Facebook 
or they think he's not on Facebook. Gotcha. There's more than one way to get on Facebook. I tell you, if I ever really get discouraged, I get on Facebook. If I feel like I'm getting too high and I'm being too blessed and my church is doing too good, I just get on Facebook and then God just says, right on down. Amen. And like a McCullough chainsaw, just tearing and shredding. Here, 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 preaching and say, well, bless God, I can do what I want to do. They didn't come tell the preacher that, but they, they go and spread it on Facebook and whatever else they can spread it on. Boy, it's getting quiet. <laughs> you know what? That's a lack of character. That's a lack of character. That shows, that proves your spiritual maturity level. These things I'm teaching tonight are clearly sin, according to Scripture. Let's read Psalms 15, 1 through 3. I'm almost done. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh upright and worketh righteousness. And, and he that speaketh the truth in his heart. And speaketh the truth in his heart. Many sit on Pentecostal pews and shun sins that they would consider vile and filthy, yet the devil has deceived so many into thinking that they can say whatsoever they please about whomever they please and be right with God. Folks are going to be lost, not because of immorality, not because they drink, smoke, and cuss, and run with those that do, not because they cheat on the job, but because they have an unbridled tongue. The Bible gives us a proper approach in Galatians chapter 6, and this is a real test to your spiritual maturity. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, which ye are spiritual, restore him, so such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, least thou also Yes, sir. Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of what? Meekness. meekness. It takes a meek person to be a restorationist. It takes a patient person to re be a restorationist. These restorationists of antiques, these restorationists of art, they have to be meticulous. They have to be patient because maybe they didn't cause the damage. Maybe they don't even know how the damage was caused. But they have a picture in their mind of what it's supposed to be like to bring it back to its original state and to put that back together and to, to, make that, to make that fit together like it's supposed to and to bring it back to its original state. To mend that, it takes a lot of meekness and patience. You can't hurry up and put things like that back together. It takes a lot of patience to do that. These art restorationists, uh, I've read after some of them, and they talk about how that, you know, maybe over time the sun, uh, ultraviolet rays, different things uh, affect these expensive uh, heirlooms and 
art pictures, maybe even ones that hang in museums that are that are classics, and they they're brought in. They don't just bring anybody in. They don't bring somebody that just got off the uh, come out of high school art class to come in there and start messing with that painting. They got to be patient. They got to know what they're doing. They got to be meticulous about how they do it, and they got to see have a sense of what it was supposed to be like originally to be able to do that. Your spirituality is not proven in your ability to shun people or to separate yourself from people that are in need or that maybe have fallen or made mistakes. But your spirituality is proven. You're not lifting yourself. You're not spiritual when you look down your religious nose at somebody and say, well, I'm so much better than them because I didn't fall like they fell. That doesn't make you spiritual. What makes you spiritual is you're willing to pick them up and help them without becoming a partaker in their sin, without becoming a partaker and in, in involved in their sin. You're still able to keep that kind of separation, but yet you're, you're, you're not so high and lifted up in your own spiritual pride that you can't reach to somebody and help them along and help them put their life back together again. We need to restore folks. We need to encourage people towards God. If folks need rebuking, and that is a part of the Word of God, you need to leave that to the pastor. And you need to pray for them, and you need to try to help them where you can. Amen. I'd rather err towards mercy. I'd rather err towards mercy than to get off in a spirit of being judgmental and miss because the Bible says that whatever judgment I mete out is what I'm going to be judged by. So if I find it real easy to be judgmental, I need to check up somewhere. I need God to, to get that out of me. I want to be a merciful man because I realize more than anybody that I, I need the mercies and the grace of God and the help of God. Every day of my life, I rely upon Him. I need. He's been merciful to me. There's things that he keeps us from in his mercy that we don't, maybe don't even know about. We're not even aware of it. The Bible talks about when we pray to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, if there ever was a day we needed you to deliver us from evil, it's in this day and hour. Because daily there is evil all around us. Everywhere you go. There's the influence of evil in this old world. And this world's not going to get cleaner. It's getting more filthy and dirty as every day goes by. And you need the help of the Lord to protect you. You know what I pray? Every day I pray, I thank God, first of all, for His protection, not only physically but also spiritually from the influences of this old world that try to bombard us. God, I want you to continue to protect me and watch over me. Deliver me from evil. Amen. Does this make sense tonight? Praise the Lord. I know this is just good practical cornbread teaching, but I, I just feel it in my heart. And somebody says, how does this relate to revival? It has everything to do with it because we got to talk the right things. Amen. we got to speak the right things. There's power in your tongue. The Bible said there's life and death in the tongue. Amen. You start talking about revival and you start talking about the blessings of God. 
and it's a great witness to people around you. They start getting encouraged. They start being blessed. They start wanting to be around you. They start uh, gravitating towards you instead of being repelled by being around you because they don't want to hear every fault. They don't want to hear everything that's going down and everything that's bad. They want to hear something good. They, they live around this world. They know what this world is full of. And it's a great witness. I said it's a great witness. Amen. When we talk about the goodness of God. Amen. I'm through. And some of you are glad. Praise God. Let's stand to our feet right now. Let's lift up our hands to the Lord. And say, God, help me. Help me in this area that we learn from your word tonight. Thank you, Jesus. I thank you so much. I praise you so much. For your word. Thank you, God. I want to be helped in this area. I don't want to lose sight of this. I want God to keep this in my heart. I want to be careful with my words. I want to I want to encourage with my words and speak faith with my words. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Amen. Again, thank you for being such a tremendous church. Amen. I'm already putting into practice what I was teaching about tonight <laughs> God bless you in Jesus name you're dismissed let's remember this weekend invite somebody to the house of God continue to pray throughout this week